You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. as the lowest form in the world. He was a sinner. God knew it, but he had to know it. God knows you're a sinner. You're not fooling him, but you have to know it too. You've got to come to the realization that I am a sinner. Point blank, I'm a sinner. It's something that you have to come to. And when you come to that conclusion, wow, God can say yes now. and forgive you of it because you confess it. If you don't think you're a sinner, what do you have to confess? We often have trouble apologizing when we don't think we're in the wrong. But today, Pastor Dave reminds us of how wrong we are when it comes to God. Nobody is perfect and everyone falls short of God's glory. In order to repent, you must first realize what a sinner you are. You have to see yourself as God sees you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 14 as he continues his message from exile to reconciliation. People were drawn to him because of his good looks. Why are we so drawn to people by their appearances? Remember in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel was sent to Jesse's house to pick the new king to replace Saul. And all these kids come out and one's better looking than the next. He said, oh, this is it. No, no, this is it. No. What did the Lord say to Samuel? Don't judge by appearance. Man looks at his appearance, but God looks at the heart. There was this ruddy little kid back there tending sheep. Dirty nose, probably like pig pen and peanuts. Cloud of dirt over him and stuff like that. His name was David. That's the one. That's the one. Israel had been taken in by Saul's appearance a long time ago. But the Lord set Samuel straight. The Lord looks upon the heart. Why do we get so hung up on appearances. Why do we love to judge people by the way they dress, their hair length or hair color, or we judge their behavior, how they walk, how they talk? The Lord sees through all that nonsense, so he's looking right into your heart today. Remember when we read in chapter 5 of John when it said, Jesus knows what's in the hearts of men? God knows what's in your heart right now. He knows exactly what's in your heart right now, even what you're thinking of. Even if you're saying, I wish this guy would just shut up. God knows that. God hears your heart. God is listening. Are you really tuned into Him? Or are you just coming here for looks? Well, if people see me here, they know I'm, I'm all right. But what are you here for? Why? God knows it. You can fool me because I'm an old fool. But God, you can't fool. The Lord looks upon the heart. What's in their hearts? Look what Jesus says in Luke 16, verse 15. I'm going to read 14 and 15. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That's pretty interesting. Abomination in the sight of God. That which we think is so important, that which we think is so great, is an abomination to God. One thing to justify ourselves before men 
because of smooth words and a smile, we can deceive people. God knows your heart. When you serve another master, it's impossible to be justified before God, no matter what you think. I read this today. I want to quote it. For some people, the idea God knows your heart is a comfort. For others, it's a curse. What is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God because God judges our heart with a different set of values than what we use to judge. Men may honor someone because of their wealth, because of their public display of spirituality, but God sees who you really are. God knows who you really are. So David puts these limits on Absalom, but that did not deter his motives and his popularity soared. People both loved him and they praised him because of his good looks. They never questioned his guilt or innocence. They could care less about his guilt or innocence. All they cared about was this good-looking guy and the next person who's going to be king is among us. He became an idol to the people of Israel and his lack of character wasn't even near important. It didn't matter to the people. All they looked at was his status, his wealth, and most importantly, his good look. I don't think much has changed in the world. Let's read the rest of these verses, 28 through 33. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore, Absalom sent to Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So he said to his servants, see, Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Look, I sent to you, saying, Come here, so that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Gershur? It would be better for me to be still there. Now therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there is the iniquity in me, let him excuse me. So Joab went to the king and told him. And when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. During these two years, we can imagine that Absalom grew more and more bitter against his father. More and more bitter because his father wouldn't see him. He was only reconciled partially to his father. His father brought him back to Jerusalem, yes. But there was no reconciliation between son and father. And this was growing bitter. It was making a bitter thing. David offered a partial and incomplete reconciliation. Absalom was banished from Israel because he murdered Ammon, yet Absalom felt entirely justified for killing a man who raped his sister. His sense of justification made bitterness against David even more intense. But Absalom had had it with this arrangement. He had had it between he and his father. He had been banished long enough, and he trusted Joab to take care of something. Joab would make it better, but Joab wouldn't even see him. Joab wouldn't even see him. Furthermore, Absalom knew that as long as he was banished, he was not heir to the throne. See, there was a method to Absalom's madness too. This is something he wanted more than anything else. So after two years of waiting, he took matters into his own hand. His actions became drastic to say the least. He commands his servants to set fire to his neighbor's barley crop. His neighbor just happened to be Joab. I always say, if you want to get somebody's attention, drastic measures usually work. But are they worth it in the long run? According to Exodus 22, verse 6, the law required that an arsonist repay the owner of the field whose crops he had destroyed. So what Absalom did is he made Joab come to him. 
shall have had to come to him in fulfillment of the law to receive payment for the burnt crops. Joab had a perfect reason now to go to Absalom because of the fire. Absalom gave Joab two choices. Take me to the king and be received and forgiven, or take me into the court, find me guilty, and kill me. Those were the two choices that he gave Joab. I'm not guilty of anything, and if you think I am, take me in the court, have them find me guilty, and kill me. If not, take me to my dad. He was at his wit's end. Kill me or free me. That's what he was saying. What is interesting here is the one who had all the power right now was not King David, was not Absalom, but who? Joab. He had all the power. He named, became the mix master in all this. <laughs> he was doing a great job, and he was mixing all this stuff up. He had been a mastermind of all this. He's, he's been a mastermind all along. Joab is trying to get what he wants. Remember, he is a very, very self-centered individual, and he's going to get everything he wants. He knew that people would never allow Absalom to be convicted. They loved him too much because of his good looks. They loved him too much because of his wealth and his status. They loved him too much. But the problem was reconciliation between David and his son. How was this going to be accomplished? How could Joab even guarantee that? Joab does go and give the message to the king, and David invites his son to his palace. He kisses his son, and the five long years of separation end. But it's sad. It's sad because it doesn't stop here. Scripture doesn't record any repentance on Absalom's part. We never see Absalom seeking David's forgiveness. It's an uneasy truce at best. We never read of Absalom going to the temple to make sacrifices for his sin. We never see Absalom doing any of these things that would normally be done in this situation. Absalom has other desires. He has an agenda. He wants the throne. He wants the throne. And now that he was free, he could go about walking his plan, talking to people, getting them to be on his side, and doing all the things he needed to do so that he could usurp the throne from his father. The people loved him. They worshipped him. David, kissing his son Absalom, thought all the dark days were over. Oh, was he sadly mistaken. David's going to lose his crown. He's going to lose his throne. He's going to lose his concubines. He's going to lose his trusted counselor. And ultimately, he's going to lose his son. Why? Because sin has a terrible price. Sin has a terrible, terrible price. A price that was so bad that Jesus had to go and hang on a cruel Roman cross to take ours away. That's how bad the price of is sin. That's how bad it is. I like studying Alan Redpath, and he has a book called Living the Victorious Life, the story of David. And he says this, quote, David's forgiveness of Absalom was completely inadequate, leading to a further outbreak of sin. God's forgiveness of man's soul is completely adequate and a great determinant to continue in sin, unquote. Why? Because the Lord forgives unconditionally. The psalmist wrote, As far as the east is from the west, so I've not, far I've removed your transgressions from you. As far as the east is from the west. That's how far sin has been removed. Once sin is confessed, it's forgotten, and it's forgiven. Yes, you cannot negate the law of sowing and reaping. The results of your sin will come out. 
But according to Hebrews 10, 17, your Father in heaven has forgotten it. I will remember their sin no more. God forgave David, but David did not forgive his son the same way God had forgiven him. David didn't do this. This created a spirit of bitterness in his son Absalom, and it rose up. We must learn to hate sin. What's the scripture? Love God, hate sin. We must learn to hate sin. If we only have a superficial sense of sin, we will be satisfied with superficial forgiveness. We need to see ourselves as we really are. The last time we were at the manor, I taught a little bit on this, and I'm going to go back to that because it's pertinent for what we're saying right here. In Isaiah 6, just read verses 1 through 6. Now we'll read 1 through 8. The prophet writes this in Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I have a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Love that. I love that verse. What does that say to me? It says that in the most dark and dangerous time of Israel's life, when the most famous and popular king had died, Isaiah didn't see an empty throne. He saw the Lord. He saw the Lord sitting high and lifted up. And when he saw the Lord, when he saw this vision of the Lord with the seraphim flying around, when he saw this beauty, when the, when the smoke, which represents the Shekinah glory of God, when the smoke filled the temple, when everything was flying around, all of a sudden, Isaiah saw the Lord. And when you see the Lord, you see yourself exactly as you are. You see yourself in clear, and you see it because then you see it with the Lord's eye. And Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw all this. The smoke came. And the first thing he says is, yuck! I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, living in a nation of unclean lips. He realized his sin because he saw the Lord, a sinful person standing next to a most holy God, looking at a most holy God, and he was crushed. Oh my gosh, my sin, my sin is ever before my eyes. What am I going to do with it? What am I going to do? And one of the seraphim came with coals from the altar and touched his lips and purged his lips, and his sin was immediately forgiven. His sin was clean. His sin was gone. And we sang about that today. You sang about that. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Take the coal. Cleanse my lips. Here I am. On the Holy of Holies, his lips were cleansed. He was a cleansed man and he knew it. He understood it. He was forgiven. His sins were gone. They were purged. They're no more. They're gone. But he had to see himself as he really was first. He had to look at himself as what he really was. Ah, I'm nothing but pond scum. He had to look at himself as the lowest form in the world. He was a sinner. God knew it, but he had to know it. 
God knows you're a sinner. You're not fooling him, but you have to know it too. You've got to come to the realization that I am a sinner. Point blank, I'm a sinner. It's something that you have to come to. And when you come to that conclusion, wow, God can say yes now and forgive you of it because you confess it. If you don't think you're a sinner, what do you have to confess? Isaiah saw himself as he really was. See, we get so easily opinionated about ourselves. I'm not so bad. I'm a pretty swell guy. I'm not doing that. That guy's doing. I'm not doing what that person's doing. I'm a pretty good guy. Oh, look, they're doing my sin. That looks terrible. Oh, my gosh. Ah! We have this great opinion of ourselves. But when we look at ourselves in the light of the world, ugh, we're filthy. My righteousness is as filthy rags. I have no righteousness outside of the Lord. And when I see myself for who I am, for what I am, in the light of God, and he sits there and looks upon me, boom, I see myself clearly, and the first words out of my mouth should be, woe is me. Oh my, look at me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. I'm unclean. In the light of God's holiness, we are horribly, horribly sinners. What a cry of desperation. Woe was me. And when he said that, the seraphim came and touched his lips. His iniquity was taken away. His sin was purged. And as soon as that was done, Isaiah was ready for service. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. He was exalted. We were exiled from God, just like Absalom was exiled from David. We were exiled from God, but God has given us a reconciliation. God has given us a hope. In Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13, says this, Remember, or therefore remember, that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were once far off. We were exiled from God. God did not belong to us. God did not belong to us. We were without Christ, he says. We were aliens from the nation of Israel because we were Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, and you're an alien from the nation of Israel. We were alien from the things of God. The promises that were given to Israel did not belong to us, Gentiles. We were cast out. Couldn't even come in. There was a temple court of the Gentiles. You couldn't even get any closer. You were a Gentile, even if you became a proselyte, if you became a Jew. We were strangers to the covenant, and we had no hope. There was no hope. We were hopeless. We were hopeless in our sin. We were hopeless. We were without God. We were once far off. And then we come to 13. But now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near to God. I'm I'm putting into God there by the blood of Jesus Christ. God found the way for our reconciliation. We were exiled from God. We were totally exiled, deserving of death because of our sin. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, the wages of sin of death. 
The gift of God is life eternal through Jesus Christ. God has given us a gift. A gift. So if you find yourself in the midst of a sin, if you find yourself in the midst of a time when you feel like you're exiled from God, when you feel like you're banished from God, simple, turn around. Realize your sin. Realize that your sin. Confess it. Woe is me. Woe is me. And allow God to tell you, what are you talking about? I've already taken care of it on the cross. It's done. But you've got to recognize it. You've got to turn around and ask for forgiveness. And God will immediately restore you. My heart breaks for the father of the prodigal son. I have some prodigals. My heart breaks for the father of the prodigal son. Son took the inheritance and went away. Just went away. And father allowed him to. And every day he just kept on watching. Every day he kept on waiting for him to come back. And one day he saw him from afar off. He was far off. He had exiled himself from God. He had exiled himself from the Father. And when he saw him coming, he ran to him. He ran to him and gathered him up and kissed him and welcomed him back. He was once dead. He was once lost. But now he's found. What a wonderful God we serve. Why do we have to be so unforgiving? Why do we have to be oh so unforgiving with each other? When we should forgive each other. When we should forgive. That doesn't mean you have to be best buddies for the rest of their life, but you can forgive each other. You can love each other. You can forgive each other. Why do we have to just stay so divided? This problem with David is only going to get worse. I wish I could tell you it gets better, but it doesn't. Not for David. Like I said, he loses everything, including his son Absalom. Price of sin is terrible. We need to repent and come back to God. Repent simply means changing your way. Doing it God's way. Most of us have tried it our way. Been there, done that, got the bruises, the ripped t-shirts, whatever you want to say. The hurt feelings. Let's do it God's way. Gotta love Peter. <laughs> you gotta love Peter. Lord, how many times should I forgive this guy? This guy's on my nerves. How many times should I forgive this guy? I forgave him seven times already. Seven times seven. Seven times 70. So Peter went, 490. Okay, let me see. 490 from... Okay, buddy, you got 410 more. That's, that's us. That's humans. That's our human desire. That's what we do. Let's move on. There's so many more wonderful things out there that the Lord wants to do. So many much more wonderful things that the Lord wants to do in our lives. And unforgiveness can be a hurt and horrible thing. We need to move on. Because we were once far off. Far off from God. But in an instant, He brought us near by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We have received forgiveness. And now it's time for us to repent and change our ways. You are Our time with you is running short for today's edition of A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through 2 Samuel when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always time to pause, even if only for a few minutes 
Those short breaks could be filled with the study of Scripture, getting to know God better through His own Word. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Or just visit assurehoperadio.com. If you're not able to join us in person, we are streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just follow the link you'll find at AssureHopeRadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message on Assure Hope. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover God doing great things in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another edition of Assure Hope.